South Africa, our crazy, wonderful, colorful, beautiful, complex country that has this rich vibrancy of language. Uh, I, love, I love the languages of South Africa. I mean, I was just thinking, like, what word could I, uh, could I open with in this message? And uh, I couldn't, uh, the word that I want to choose doesn't really open a message, and I, but I just love this word, haibo. Haibo. Eish. We've just got so many expressions in this nation which add to the, the colorfulness and the experience of who we are. I have the great privilege uh, in my job, in, in who, what God's called me to, of traveling quite a lot uh, internationally and going and encouraging other churches and being encouraged myself so I can come back and, uh, and encourage us as a pastor. And uh, I remember I, I learned a valuable lesson after my first trip to the U.S., uh, and so what I do now, I, I'll tell you that story, but what I do now is I will always go onto Google, you know, Google our favorite friend, and I'll just say, top 20 slang words of the country I'm going to, just to help me understand the modern vernacular of where I'm going, so that one, I don't put my foot in it, and two, that I can just better understand the guys that I'm embracing. Uh, because uh, on my first trip to America, we were sitting at a conference, and it was uh, a, a church leadership conference, and then we had kind of a breakaway, and it was around a meal, uh, around a table, and there were a bunch of pastors, and uh, a pastor from the U.S. was using a word that uh, in South Africa is not a word we use. And uh, I kind of like, oh, is it? And I looked around, and no one seemed perturbed at all that he'd used this word. I was like, Jeez, this is one bunch of pastors here. And he carried on, and the, and the word was used a few times, and I'm starting to feel like, okay, there's, there's something up here. This is obviously, and a little personal conversation, a private conversation afterwards, and I realized in the conversation when I told him, hey, that, that word where I come from means this, and he looked at me like this. As in their, but in their country, you know, in the U.S., it means something completely different. I'm not repeating it, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you, so you're not going to get it from me. But it's, uh, I just kind of realized, like, whoa, culture and language, for us to fully experience another nation, another people, another culture, we have to understand language. It's said you can never truly understand another culture unless you know their language. Then we come into this country, this crazy country, this crazy wonderful country of 11 languages, official languages. And it is, it's hard to kind of make sense of this world. Like I, I, I said, and all I want to do is understand uh, what some of my brothers are talking when they're in their home language. And to my shame, I'm unable to. And then I was trying to, when I was leading the church down the South Coast, which some of you may know, that's it, not the point of the story, but uh, there were a bunch of Afrikaners in our group. And so I thought, great, I'm going to win them over with an Afrikaans word. And I used it. And I had... A whole lot of people look at me like this, and I think the next week I was, there was half the congregation than there was the week before, as I suddenly realized, as I was approached afterwards by a very loving Afrikaans man to say, yeah, Richard, we don't use that language in public or in private. And so here was my desperate plea to try and be more colorful. I, I, I succeeded in being colorful, but just in the wrong way. And, uh, and so it's important for us to understand the nuances. It's important for us to understand context and culture and feel and what's going on. And what I want to preach today, I, I just kind of thought we're ending of January. I can't believe we're one month in already. 
But this whole year has already felt different. I, I mean, we all agree. It, it feels like we're much more front-footed. It feels like there's a little bit more clarity and certainty. It feels like we can come out of survival mode and we can actually start taking, taking ground. We can actually start building as the church again. We can actually start being a family on a mission, not just a family taking care of one another. It just has that attitude and atmosphere around it. And so before we get into our first series of the year, I want to end this month with a word, which I believe if we can get the revelation of this word, we can get, if we can understand some of the culture, the context, the language that was used, it will blow your minds. I'm going to go to a text that if you've been around church for any length of time, You've quoted this, and I think you've probably quoted it devoid of its true power. Tonight, my request and my prayer of the Spirit of God is that your eyes and your ears would be opened to the power of what Jesus says in this moment, and that you would understand that a whole new level, that He would reveal Himself, and that our lives would be forever changed because we understand context and language. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19. And it says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Who's quoted that? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is one of the most quoted scriptures. Many of us would quote this, and it feels like it gives us power. The gates of hell will not prevail, and the keys of the kingdom of heaven are given to us, and we are still clueless around some of its true power and meaning. I'm trusting that by a, bit of a, a little bit of a history lesson, we'll learn exactly what Jesus was meaning here. Or a little bit more. Let me, let me not pretend to be God and say exactly. A little bit more of what God, what Jesus was saying in this moment. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go on a little bit of a history journey. Five minutes is what I'm asking. Those that know me know that I don't often do five minutes of history. And so this is what I'm saying. Because I'm doing it, you must know that it's important. So can you listen with those ears? Can you listen with those ears? The scriptures say Jesus arrived at Caesarea Philippi, just casual. What you don't know is that was uh, 60, 70 miles from where he was with his disciples. He took his disciples on a walk, which would have taken him days. And they just arrived at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi as an area, what it was, was a city that was formed around a mountain called Mount Hermon. And in those days, mountains were often just called rocks. So the rock of Hermon. And so I'll give you a bit of context of what's gone on here. So the rock of Hermon was named after the god Hermes, the Greek god Hermes, the, the rock of Hermes. And Hermes had a son called Pan. So Pan was a god, and if we can go, sorry, to the picture, I don't know if we, uh, we've still got it there, 
So it's, it's not very clear. I get that. Our projector's not great. If you want to help change that, you're welcome to. In this picture, what you may be able to make out is there's this mountain, there's this rock, and there's an entrance there, which is a cave, and water flows out of it. And so this rock, Hermon, named after Hermes the god, was called, literally was called, the Gate of Hades. That was the Gate of Hades, that entrance right there. Why? Because this is what happened. The mountains, it had multiple mountaintops, and so it was believed it's where the divine were to interact with the earth. And then in that, mount, in that little hole, there's a great water abyss. And it was believed that's where the underworld meets. And so this, in, uh, in, uh, in the time of history that humanity lived, this was regarded as the place on this rock, on this Mount Hermon was the place where divinity met with earth, met with the underworld. And Hades is the term used for death and life, the, the, the going from life going into death where you were held until the eternal judgment. And so at the meeting of earth and divine and underworld was the gate of Hades, life and death. And the god Pan in mythology, the god Pan was the god of Hades. He was the protector of the gate of Hades. And so right at this place is where worship would take place. The gods would convene. So people would, and so there would be people having worship practices in there. Uh, many of them detestable practices. There were caves everywhere. And uh, the god Pan was, was known to be half human and half goat. And so he, he had a face and he had horns. Like that was his image. And so just for free, uh, in the second century, uh, when they were kind of looking at this, this is where the detestable practices were studied and they were understood and they believed it was just full-on satanic. And that's where Satan came to be represented with goat horns. From the god Pan, from the rock of Hermon from Mount Hermon in Caesarea Philippi. The city used to be called Panis after the god Pan, and then when the Romans kind of took over that whole area, it was in Israel, but when it took over that whole area, uh, King Philip, Caesar Philip, decided he was going to be the greater god, and so he just renamed the city Caesarea Philippi after himself. And so when Jesus, when we read the story that the disciples and Jesus just arrived at Caesarea Philippi, there's a reason that they went there. There's a whole lot of context to what's going on. What would happen in those days was, uh, and many of you would know as you studied, is there would be animal, sacri so animal sacrifices and sexual misconduct were the two primary ways of worshiping gods. And so in these, all of these tunnels and all of these caves where divinity met with earth, met with the underworld, where life and death crossed, the intersection of everything, all believed to be at this Mount Herbin, at Caesarea Philippi, at this place. There were these detestable practices of, of, of wanting to please Pan, that you could maybe get uh, people from the dead to come to life, and there would be these worship practices. And because he was half man and half goat, there was sexual practices that would go with humanity and with goats. And there were sacrifices, both human and animal. It was known, it was known in Israel to be the rock of offense. Mount Hermon was the rock of offense. And so Jesus just casually walks with his disciples to Mount Hermon and has this interaction. Important for us to understand that. That's a little bit of the history lesson. Okay. 
Then he gets to this question. And he says this to his disciples. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Now, if you can picture what's taken place, the disciples have been walking with Jesus. They probably would have been used to not knowing quite where they were going. Jesus had done that multiple times. Just come with me and we're walking and, oh, here we're going to stop off and just raise a dead guy from a funeral. Oh, here we're going to just drive out demons. Oh, here we're going to just do this. And they were used to walking. This walk was a little bit longer. And in those days, Israelites who followed the Jewish way, who believed in God, they would not go to the northern territories of Israel. They would not go to Mount Hermon because it was a rock of offense. It was where detestable practices took place. And they wouldn't go there because they would become unclean. And therefore, they couldn't worship. And I, I could imagine at some time during the walk, the disciples were like, hey, we're, we're heading to that place that we shouldn't go. And they go, and Jesus keeps going. And then they arrive at Caesarea Philippi, and they arrive at the mountain, and Jesus takes his disciples to the entrance to that cave, the entrance to the abyss, the underworld, where death, the gate of Hades, where the God Pan oversees, where detestable practices, where the disciples are busy watching people going in and out, doing their worship experience. And it was called in those days the Ecclesia of people. Some of us, again, that have been around in church circles, we know that the church is called the Ecclesia. The Ecclesia is just a gathering of people worshiping God. And so the Ecclesia were also gathering around the God Pan and the God Hermes. And they were the Ecclesia going in and out and doing their worship experience. And Jesus comes with his worshipers with his ecclesia, his 12. And standing there, he comes to them and he says, who do other people say that I am? And they answer, some say this and some say Elijah and da, 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 da. And he, he goes, okay, he gets through all of that and then he says, okay, but now who do you say I am? And so there's this moment where you can picture the 12 disciples. They've been walking with Jesus for three years because this is at the back end of his ministry. And he comes and they're standing there and they're watching all these people and they know this is the mountain where the gods meet. And they know this is the intersection of divinity and humanity and the underworld and death and life and all of this. And people going in and out with goats and animal sacrifices and sexual activity and going in and out, in and out, and Jesus is here, and, and he says, who do you say I am? And, they can, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're looking, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're looking, and they're looking at Jesus. And Simon says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. For three years, Simon's been walking with him, watching him do the miracles of healing, doing the demonic uh, setting free, doing the words of discernment, taking on the Pharisees, and there's been this knowledge that Jesus was God, but in a moment, he realizes, I get it. I get it. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're not Pan, who's the son of a God, of a dead God, Hermes. You're the son of the living God. You are Jesus. You are the Messiah. You are the savior of life and death. Not all of these, all these people that are walking in and out of the different caves and doing worship practices while we're standing here. That is all false. They're not following the living God. They're all dead in their own sin and in their own lack of understanding and with their eyes closed. And so there's this revelation. And so I want to ask you today on this 30th of January 2022, Jesus would ask you this question, who do you say I am? Not who does your pastor teach you I am. Not who my mom and dad say I am. Not who my spouse says I am. Not who history books say I am. Who do you say I am? 
Who do you say I am? Jesus is asking you a question. And what happens today is we, we just uh, we get a little uh, anxious about answering questions where we, we, we don't, we're not so good at having courageous conversations or challenging conversations today. This, this generation, we, we, we're a little bit because of PC, you know, because of being politically correct. We, we're not allowed to go certain areas. Like, no, 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 your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. We, we don't get to ask real questions. Today, we're confronted with LGBTQR+. And we, we wonder, like, can we go there? Can't we go there? How do we go there? Are we equipped to go there? Aren't we? we we're like, well, okay, maybe we'll just stay out of it. Because it's a little bit PC and we're not quite sure how to go there. He, she, it, they, them. Are we, like, what, what are we doing? Are we, what pronoun do you want to be called? We don't quite know. Can we go there? Can't we go there? And Jesus goes there and he says, okay, enough of who everybody else says. What do you say? What do you say? Let's have the courageous conversation. Who do you say I am? Because if he is the Messiah, the son of the living God... I'm convinced that most of our lives should look different to what they look like today. If we have the revelation of who Jesus is as he stands at the gate of Hades and he says on this, we're going to get there. So the question is who, who do you say I am? And then Simon has this revelation. Many of us will know, you may be confused as to who Simon is. Uh, most of us know him as Peter. He wrote a couple of letters which are in the Bible, um, and Jesus renamed him Peter, but he's Simon in this moment. And Simon says, I get it. I get it. What you've been trying to teach us for three years, I get it. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's who you are to me. You are my Savior, you are my Lord, you are the Son of the living God, not the dead gods, not the underworld gods, not the gods of false, not the gods of mythology, not what people worship here, not the God of the goats. You're my God, and you're a living God, and you're the Messiah. This incredible revelation, this incredible revelation, and so right now, just Jesus Christ, I pray for every single one of us in this auditorium that by your Spirit, our eyes would be opened, our ears would be opened to see you as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. Savior, Lord, Son of the living God. And then we have this declaration by Jesus. This declaration. So there's, there's a context. Jesus has purposely, he could have said this in Jerusalem. He could have said it in Galilee. He could have said, but he takes his disciples on this journey to this place because they have to see it. They have to see it. And so there's this context and then there's words that he uses so that we can understand it and not misappropriate it or misunderstand it or lack some of its power. And in this, there is this question of who do you say I am? There's this revelation of you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then there's this declaration by Jesus, which says this, On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What was Jesus trying to say in this moment, friends? See, because too many of us live as though we're on the defensive. Like, how many of us have kind of felt like life's, we're, we're under pressure? 
uh, it feels like the enemy's pushing and Satan's pushing in, or it just feels like life's getting big on us, and we kind of go, ah, the gates of hell will not prevail, the gates of hell will not prevail. Completely wrong context. Here, Jesus goes to the gates of Hades. Friends, we need to understand that gates were a defense mechanism for cities. Cities were only as strong as their gates were. It wasn't an attack mechanism. So Jesus is not waiting for the enemy like, okay, we can defend off against the enemy. It's like, no, no, no. We're going to go to the gates of hell where the underworld and the death and life and heaven and earth, where everything meets. I'm going to go stand right there. And on the revelation that I can overcome death on that rock, I will build my church. And so the first thing we need to understand about the declaration of God is there is power in Jesus' name. On the revelation that I am the Messiah and the Savior. That I am now the true God. I'm the one that can overcome death. I am the God that is in control of death and life. No one else. Not Pan. Not all your friends. Not all your worshipers. Not the sorcerers. Not anyone else. I am in control. And because Jesus went to the cross and he overcame death. And he went into the underworld. And the Spirit of God raised him up again to life. By the Spirit of God. The sting of death. The writer in the New Testament says, the sting of death. Where, O death, is your sting? It's been taken out. If we understood on this rock, my church will be built. On the rock of Hermes, on the rock of the gate of hell, on the gate of Hades. At that point, the point where death has been beaten by Jesus Christ, there is no more sting in death. Therefore, we would live very differently. Fears. Why must there be fears when the most most ultimate thing that we can face is death and the sting of death has been taken? How can fears grip us when the power of God is available on this rock, on this revelation that the gate of Hades will not overcome, says Jesus Christ. And so there is power in His name. And so I want to ask you this question. What rock are you looking at? What rock are you standing on? Are you looking at the rock of death or are you looking at the one who overcomes death? On this rock I will build my church. Friends, your lives are built. The church is established on the power of Jesus Christ who has overcome death. And therefore, everyone who is found in Christ has overcome death. That is our story. That is our portion. Friends, we are not on the defensive we're not on the defensive. The gates of Hades was a place. It was, it, it was locked in space and time. It was a physical place, the gate of Hades, uh, where life and death intersected. But it was, it was to keep people dead, dead. That's what it was for. But Jesus comes and raises dead things to life as he overcomes. And so we're able to stand here and we're able to stand in the power of Jesus Christ. And we can say the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That means it's not us on the defensive like Satan's going to come. No, we're able to march up to death and we're able to say, give it back. Give it back. The relationship that you're stealing, give it back. My spiritual inheritance, give it back. My family that I've lost, give it back. I can go into where death is and where death is trying to keep things shut up and I can overcome it because of Jesus Christ. What do you need to take back, friends? 
What death needs to come to life? I want to tell you that it is not held at the gate of Hades. It is not held by the so-called God Pan. It is held in the hands of Jesus Christ. And on this rock, my church will be built. The second thing we see is holiness. This rock called Hermon, Mount Hermon, where detestable practices took place. It was known to those that were pious Jews. It was a rock of offense. Jesus marches up to it right there. And then there's the story written that he is the greater rock of offense. And we read this in Romans chapter, chapter 9, 30 to 33. It says this, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That's us. We didn't pursue righteousness, but we've got it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they do not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our righteousness. It's a gift from God because He's overcome life and death. Well, He's overcome death. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. And so there's this rock of offense, and then there's Jesus Christ who calls us to a holy way, and that also seems to be a rock of offense. Because again, today we don't know if we can start to confront people's sin in their lives. God puts us into the church because we are better because of it. You can call out my sin and love, and I can call out your sin and love, and it doesn't have to be all PC, and are we going to risk offending people? No, I want to pursue holiness as you should want to pursue holiness. Therefore, if I recognize something in you that's holding you back from the life that Jesus came to give us, life in full, I want you to know about it, and let's work on this together. Likewise for me. Jesus came that we may have life and have it in the full. If you've accepted Jesus, you've got life, but all of us are between life and life in full. We're all on somewhere in that continuum. We're all in that journey. And so holiness, the pursuit of holiness by faith. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. There's a rock of offense. I'm going to go stand on top of that rock. And on this rock, the church will be built on my holiness, on my purity, on my overcoming death, on true worship, which doesn't revolve, uh, involve Disgusting acts with animals and humans. On this rock, the church will be built. Holiness. And then lastly, the revelation. The revelation. So we have power on this rock. Power. What was Jesus saying? Holiness. And then revelation on this rock. Jesus. Uh, Peter had the revelation of Jesus as the son of the, of the living God. It is this revelation which the church will be built upon, friends. And so it starts in us. If we have this revelation that death has been overcome by Jesus Christ, we stand strong. See, the 12 disciples got it. 12 of them. 12 of them in that moment at the rock of offense, at the rock of Hermon, at the gate of Hades, where life transitioned to death, where the divine met the human, met the underworld. In that moment, the 12 disciples saw what was going on and they go, we get it. And 2,022 years later, or whatever the numbers work out to, there is a church, approximately 2 billion people worldwide, presently alive today, because 12 people got the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Who do you say I am? He asks this evening. See, Jesus presented a very clear challenge with his words at Caesarea Philippi. 
He didn't want his followers hiding out from evil. When the power of God flows through our veins, when we understand the revelation of who Jesus is in our pursuit of holiness, we don't hang out in church walls. We don't just look for our next Christian meeting. We do what Jesus did. For three years, Jesus had healed the sick. He had cast out demons. He had had words of knowledge and discernment. Not once did he say, upon these things will I build my church. He walks all the way to this point of death and life, and he says, on this I'm going to build my church. And so, friends, I want to tell you who Anthem is. We're a people that are not in the pursuit of the miraculous. We're not in the pursuit of the words of divine as our primary concern. We're in the pursuit of the power of God to change dead things to life. What comes in the kingdom of God is the miraculous for healing. What comes are words of knowledge. What comes are the demonic being driven out. That's what comes with it. But our pursuit is Jesus. Our pursuit is the power on this rock, the power of life over death. The disciples got it. Will we get it? Will we get it? If I were to sum up this message not the totality of it, just a sentence that speaks to this message. Some of us are living our lives and we're somewhere between life and full life and we're somewhere here, but some of us feel like we've lost our purpose. We don't really know what we're getting up for in the morning. I'd say this, if you want to find out more of what your purpose is, go towards the dark because then you'll see how your light shines more clearly. What happens is, like the South African army, is we train and we, do, we, we know how to shoot a gun and we know how to do these things. And, we, and then suddenly the war comes and we find ourselves out of battle practice. There's some things that can only be experienced on the battlefield. And so we sit in church and I tell you how to load your gun. And I tell you how to fight with the weapons of God. And I tell you, but unless we are walking to the gates of Hades and at that very place, we are saying, actually, you have no right on this lady. We are calling her to life. We're pulling dead things out of her. We are pulling, we are pulling, we are pulling. Unless we go to that place, friends, we're like the South African army which just sits. I'm not disrespecting them. I'm just using them as an example because we don't fight very often, except in July last year. But we, we, we become unpracticed with the battle strategies. We become unpracticed with the fight. And so we become a church that we, we kind of don't know if we can walk to the entrance of the cave. We feel so uncomfortable going to dark places because we're so unaccustomed to fighting the battles of life and death because all we want to fight is the battles of unchallenging questions. Because it's PC and it's safe and it's not offensive. But on the rock, the greater rock of offense, the church is built. Are you hearing me? I want to end with this story. I'm closing out. Nearly 14 years ago, Jackson and I took over leading a church down the south coast. Some of you know that story. That's not the point. And I heard there was an addiction recovery center. And I just felt something in me like, I've got to go and help. I don't know how. I don't have, I don't have addiction in the, in the a kind of narrow definition of addiction in my family. I think everyone has that kind of experience somewhere along the line. 
and I walked up a driveway, and I met with a man. And I said, I'm here to help. Whatever. Even if it's just sitting in my office and praying. And uh, short, long story short, it's like, you don't know what you're getting yourself in for. Try me. I was tried. <laughs> that man is Conrad Cooper, sitting here, 14 years ago. But I remember, I remember in my second or third time there, Conrad had given me the privilege of speaking to a bunch of people that were in a primary care residence, uh, trying to free themselves of addiction through the power of Jesus Christ. And I remember standing up once, and I wanted to look everybody in the eyes. And I think, I got my eyes to a girl, I can still picture exactly what she looks like, what her hair looked like, the color of her eyes. I looked into her eyes, and I saw Satan staring back at me. And as I started preaching Jesus, she started hissing at me. And I thought, God, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. So I'm going to say something <laughs> which may shock you a little bit. But I made a decision then and there. I'm not going to follow the Western way of church where pop psychology and therapy and the one-on-one -on -one meetings and trying to counsel people for 10 sessions and 15 sessions to try to get them saved. No, we're saved by the blood of Jesus and the preaching of his word. I want to be at that place, at the gate of Hades, where people are suffering with death and they're being trapped and they're being held in. And I want to preach the life of Jesus Christ because upon this rock my church will be built. And so we're going to go after addiction recovery. And it's going to be messy. And there are going to be moments where I'm standing in this very auditorium and I'm preaching to people and they're looking back at me with the eyes of Satan and they're going to start hissing in this auditorium. It's coming. It's a matter of time. And we're going to go there. Because we're not going to hide out in a church. We're not going to hide out in four walls because it's comfortable. We're not going to hide out because we're scared of offending people. We're going to go on the rock. On this revelation, on this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. We're going to go and rescue people, friends. We're going to go and rescue people. And the invitation is for everyone to come along with. When we understand Jesus' words and the context with which he said them, how can we live the same? How can we live the same? The power of God to overcome death. The pursuit of holiness. The revelation of who He is. How much more? How much more? I want to pray for us this evening. I feel like some people have lost their courage to stand at the gate of Hades. They've lost their courage. We've heard words Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but we feel like our lives are in the same position. 
we've lost some of our purpose because we're not walking towards the dark, not to participate in the darkness, but in order to establish what the light is that God has put in us, what the power is, because He's given each of us gifts that are able to break and plunder into that space. So I want to pray for courage. If you want courage, if you want courage to build your life, to be part of building the church that Jesus says, on this rock I will build it. If you want that courage, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to pray for you. Jesus, sometimes we don't even know the fullness of the gift that you've given to us in your, well, Father, we don't know the fullness of the gift you've given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus, you would find it necessary to walk 12 men who had been with you for three years to the very gate of Hades, where it was believed heaven and earth and the underworld and life and death would all intersect in that very place. You, you found it necessary to walk your disciples there because it was not something you could tell them. It was something you had to show them. And then they have this revelation. They have this revelation. And then you take me on a journey up a driveway and you put me in front of a group of people who've been deceived by the enemy and are desperately needing to be free to find the life of Jesus Christ. And as I stand and as I look into the eyes of who I believe was Satan at work, the demonic at work, and they start hissing at me when I start mentioning the power of your name, and you take me to that place and my eyes are opened to the power of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for courage for these men and women who are standing here to keep taking journeys to the gate of Hades, to the gate of life and death. Keep showing them, keep taking them that they may have the revelation of the power of Jesus, that the gate of Hades will not overcome them as they preach, the, as they preach your word, as they proclaim the gospel, as they rescue lives, as they put people's hands into your hand, Jesus that they too may say, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Courage, Lord God. Courage. Courage to have the courageous conversations. Courage. Help us, God. Help us. God, we want to we wanna be your church that has flourished through the ages, that has stood through the ages, that has rescued people through the ages. We want to be that church and we want to be it in 2022 as we come out of a time of really just making sure that we've survived. We're able to be on the front foot now and we want to say, God, give us that territory again. Give us that territory again. Let us walk there. Let us take hold of you there. Let us rescue people there. And so, Spirit of God, Spirit of God, would you minister? Would you reveal? Would you empower? In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I trust that Jesus' words sink deep into you. 
And depending on which side of the spectrum you fall, I trust that they would encourage you and inspire you, or they would deeply challenge and provoke you.